0: What up, what up, what up, and what up? What's going on, folks? Welcome to episode number 36 of the Spun Today podcast. I am your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to break up the monotony this week from the usual uh, free writing format of the podcast, and this is going to be a random rant, which is going to be more so like the intro portions of the free writing podcasts that... uh, that you guys are used to, so if you enjoy that portion, you're going to like this episode. It's going to be short and sweet, and it's not going to have on any of the free-writing stuff that I normally have towards the end of it, but if you feel like you're missing out, feel free to visit spuntory.com and check out some of my free-writing or short stories and what have you. Uh, That said, there are a couple of new... Questionnaire submissions that we received That I'm going to be sharing with you guys And uh, That's pretty much it So with that said Let's get cracking UFC 194 Is first up on my list 13 motherfucking seconds Conor McGregor Backed up all His tough talk All his His talking all this bullshit backed it up once again and leading up to the fight i was i don't know i wasn't um convinced i i was thinking aldo was gonna win i thought he he was gonna he was gonna shut up mcgregor and then literally i think like two days before the fight you know, I was just uh, rewatching some uh, like the promos and the training sessions and like stuff like that on YouTube and a bunch of videos. And I remember hitting up one of my boys and I was like, "Nah, fuck it, bro. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going going McGregor. McGregor's gonna take it." And he fucking did it. in 13 seconds. Broke UFC uh, uh, UFC record in uh, winning a championship fight. Uh, ronda rousey had the record prior to him with 14 seconds and he did it in 13 it was fucking nuts i was watching it with my brother and um he was like what the fuck happened Uh, i thought aldo like slipped or something too like i didn't even notice that i didn't see it until you know the instant replays um showed how mcgregor pretty much clipped him, clipped him clean on his jaw with a with a a left hook and it's so much so that Aldo actually connected with McGregor but he was knocked out before he connected but the 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 swing was like mid swing already going towards uh, McGregor's face and McGregor caught him before he got caught himself and you could tell like Right before it, uh, Aldo's uh, fist connected with McGregor's face, that it went kind of limp because he was already like knocked out, and he just fucking dropped. And then McGregor knocked him out. Spoiler alert: If you guys haven't seen the fight, <laughs> McG- McGregor um just jumped on him jumped on him, and uh, got two very clean, very connected uh, hammer fists, and. Uh, Aldo went stiff and knocked him out. And um, I definitely have to say si- I I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a fight, uh, maybe at least like half a round or something like that, just to see a bit of an exchange between the two. Um, after all the hype, McGregor um, and, McGreg- and not McGregor Aldo kind of said you know he must have been frustrated and pissed off and stuff like that. So I can't hold it too much against him, but he kind of said that it wasn't a real fight. Um, they, he, he caught him, you know, kind of like insinuating like a lucky punch or whatever, I guess. And Rogan, uh, called him out on it, uh, right at, at the end of the fight and pretty much said, um, it was a real fight. It's just one where you got caught and you got knocked out very quickly. And it's true, you know, you got knocked the fuck out. And, um, I don't know. That was uh, it was sick. <laughs> it was a a very very sick exclamation, exclamation point indeed for for McGregor, um, wiping out the division like he said he would, and now the question is, if he's going to move up to what is it, one seventy five, one fifty, what is he, one fifty five, he's gonna move up to whatever. Uh, Dos Anjos and and Donald Cerrone's uh weight classes and he wants to hold that belt too when he was in his previous organization he actually held the two belts simultaneously in those two weight classes um so he has done it before um and he was already talking shit like in press conferences to Dos Anjos and and also to to uh Cowboy Cerrone about that about moving up in weight class and and taking their belt as well, and it was funny because uh, he tells he tells uh, Cowboy Cerrone like in, in an exchange that they then at one fifty five they're they're stiff as a board and he's gonna he's gonna snap them like a board and Donald Cerrone told him that he's gonna bend them over and knock the lucky charms out of his ass. <laughs> that was it was hilarious, just like uh, the hype for the fight between those two would be a would be awesome cuz they would get like at each other in a funny way like that I think and it would be entertaining to watch but yeah uh it would be it would be interesting if it goes that route now the other route which I rather I rather it go this way uh because he absolutely deserves it Frankie Edgar deserves a shot at that title before McGregor moves up and weight And, um, he, Friday night before uh, UFC 194, Frankie Edgar fought Chad Mendes, which Chad Mendes is the guy that McGregor, McGregor's last fight was against Chad Mendes, who took the fight on short notice because uh, Jose Aldo, the guy that McGregor just knocked out in 13 seconds because he got hurt. So Chad Mendes stepped in on two weeks notice, two or three weeks notice, uh, and fought and... Um, they're fairly, fairly okay, um, against, against McGregor, he had McGregor, uh, took McGregor down, I'm not sure if it was, like, for the first time, but he took McGregor down, he was, like, grounding, and ground and pounding him, and, and using his, uh, wrestling skills, um, but he supposedly was hurt, according to him, and also, you know, only had, like, two to three weeks uh, of training notice, so... Um, while getting knocked out also by McGregor And uh, Similarly he just fought uh, That guy Chad Mendes just fought Frankie Edgar and Frankie Edgar Knocked him out in the first round And Frankie Edgar has been calling for a title shot For some time and some people Thought that uh, Frankie Edgar should have gotten the the Title shot when Chad Mendes did um, And he wanted it And he wanted it before uh, the, the fight that That uh, uh, I think actually after that point, I'm not too sure. I know he he's definitely wanted a title shot for a while. McGregor just got the interim in you know, the fight against Chad Mendes is when he got the interim title. Um, and before that, Frankie I guess wanted to fight Aldo or he just wants a title shot. Period. Uh, but that's another interesting direction that that division can go in which would be would be cool to see i like frank edgar a lot and definitely definitely i feel that he deserves that title shot then if mcgregor were to win that then move up in weight and do what you gotta do in the next weight class then the next fight which was a really good fight um had a bit of a a back and forth which was uh, Rockhold versus Wyvern and I noticed when I don't want to sound like a fucking wannabe Walter Mercado or some shit like that but it was kind of like that I was thinking of the book Blink um, by Malcolm Gladwell and the the specific example uh, from that book of the tennis the I think it was the tennis coach that could spot like the the great tennis players or whatever just from the way that they serve I got a weird like premonition when when Wideman was coming out and he just I don't know he just seemed off like just from his walk the way he was walking like to the to the octagon Um, something seemed off and I told my brother that and then again, spoiler alert. For those of you that don't know, he lost for the first time, uh, lost his undefeated record, lost his his UFC middleweight title, and it fucking sucks. I like wanted him to, to win. I was really rooting for him, you know, uh, not just because of the whole like New York thing, but he's one of those those like, poster boy champion guys, um, good hardworking dudes, and and he. At the same time, he also ha- always had, like, that stigma of not being the real deal, even though he's proven it, you know, by beating Machida, by, you know, after both Anderson and uh debatable flukes, um, he, you know, by beating Machida, by beating, uh, what's his face, A steroid fucking using dude, I forget his name, Brazilian guy, and... Um, In like really spectacular fashion You know what I mean It wasn't like Like flugy winds after that He's pretty much solidified himself And I know this one was the one That I felt If he had won It would like Definitely definitely solidify him up there Um, But I don't know He just never really got the love That much love You know From You know fans And And he just like I said, he had that that stigma about him, and he fucking lost to Rockhold, but respect to Rockhold, who has sick fucking kicks. God damn, he has sick kicks, and um, and did an awesome job. And uh, I can't believe Herb Dean didn't stop it. The the when there was like twenty five to twenty seconds left, I guess he was like trying to give White a chance to get like saved by the bell. And he kind of Sort of stopped it At the end Like with zero seconds left He started waving his arms But At that point I guess he was considered Saved by the bell And then after that Rockwell just You know Demolished him And um Yeah That was pretty much it That was UFC 194 For me anyway Those were Uh There were a couple Dope fights Um Both in the The undercard And the main card Um Who's that dude? There's this uh, English dude, Holloway uh, Who looks like a Mexican dude um, His fight was Was not as As entertaining as they usually are His are usually pretty entertaining um, But he won And who else? Uh, Uriah Faber's fight was dope um, That would be Interesting now to see He's, he's gearing up to to fight uh, TJ T. Dillashaw Or... Uh that's a fight I want to see. Uh versus um Cruz, Dominic Cruz. And any one of them, uh, whoever wins from that versus uh Uriah Faber would be w- both have ill like background stories and storylines with each other. TJ Deloshaw so used to be uh Team Alpha Male and uh, fucking like protege of, of Uriah Hall, uh, Uriah Faber. And they recently, you know, they they always said they would never fight each other. That's why Uriah Uriah Faber went to a different weight class. But now they're back in the same weight class. And T.J. D'Alessio is the champion. And he's no longer with that camp anymore. And they've, you know, have said things uh, of each other in different interviews. And um, Dominic Cruz just hates all fucking alpha male, team alpha male. calls them alpha fails. And uh, they have, like, a long rivalry. And, um... Yeah, that would be, you know, whoever... T.J. Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz is going to be a dope fight. And then whoever went from that verse, eye uh, favor would make for for uh, a dope fight as well. Then you had... Uh, Yoel Romero, fucking... Uh, what's his, what's his name? His, his name is funny. His fucking fighting nickname thing. Soldier of God. And... He he looks like a fucking chiseled statue, and um, he won his fight. I think he's next in line for our, for a our title shot now, I guess in the middleweight division. Um, and yeah, it was it was a pretty stacked fucking card, man. I enjoyed watching the fights. I normally don't order the fights except for like big ones like this. Um, usually just download them the next day on fucking Pirate Bay or some shit like that. Allegedly. But um, uh, the ones like this, the big ones like that, definitely have to have to watch, have to download, have to watch that shit live. There were a couple of uh movies that I saw uh, since last time, and I, damn, I feel like I fucking I haven't recorded in a while, even though I recorded less than two weeks ago. Um, but I'm reading my notes here, cause. I like write myself notes on my phone of shit that I want to bring up on the next episode of the podcast. And then I uh, pretty much compile my list of show notes, you know, bullet points and shit based on that list on my phone and clear it out. And then, you know, whatever happens to me in the next two weeks, uh, shit that I see that I, or, or witness or hear about or whatever that I feel like speaking about on the podcast, I just jot it down on my phone and, you know, Do that over and over again, basically. And, um... I'm reading from my notes here, and it feels like... I watched this shit, like, months ago. But... I didn't. Uh, A couple things that I saw. One uh, movie, which was Nightcrawler. uh, Which I know I'm fucking late on. I've been wanting to watch it for a a while. It was one of those movies that... Either was up for awards, or should have been up for awards. Um, Like, just barely didn't make the cut... If I'm not mistaken, uh, that was that was when like Boyhood and and uh, Birdman and uh, those movies uh, came out. This was a really really fucking good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, and I definitely recommend it. It's really interesting to see like like within the context of that of that movie. You know, it's this journalists, you know, TMZ style journalism, um, and how they were just really portraying, a sociopath. And there's people like that all around us all the time that, you know, maybe to lesser degrees, but people that you work with, friends of yours, people that you think are your friends, you know, family members, different, you know, at all different levels, of that type of narcissistic, I want what I want no matter what type of personalities. Which is what Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, portrays in in the movie, in my opinion. And not even an opinion, I think it's pretty blatant, but... um, I've definitely encountered my fair share of of people like this or uh, just people that have stints of that specific personality trait where it's just no holds barred. They don't give a fuck who's in the way, what's in the way. They just go for what it is that they want. And I've always... I guess, taken from those types of experiences, the fact that there's ways to go about things, there's way to, you know, go hard to go home, and there's just ways not to do it. I think this the character in the movie it completely embodies the way not to go about doing things, <laughs> um, even though he was successful. You know, he, he was successful um, in certain goals that he had set for himself, uh, whether it was getting with the with the the lady which was just a puzzle piece in his, you know big picture of, you know, owning his business and and become having you know, starting his journalistic empire. And but everything that he wanted from manipulating his that worker that he had um, he got, and the movie ended off pretty much with him, uh, continuing in that that direction, in that um, upward progression, and it's kind of like at what cost though, right? Um, and shit like that usually catches up with people, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you know people never get caught for shit. That uh, wrongdoing or whatever, however you want to look at it, but more often than not, they they do, and even if they don't, um, going back to what I was saying before, that's something something that I've always taken away from shit like that is that if I have the option of having something uh, in that way and not getting caught versus. Not having that something. I'd rather not have that something. I want anything and everything that I earn. And what I got coming Tommy, me. Like Tony Montana would say. But um, uh, nothing more, nothing less. But yeah, it was a pretty interesting uh, portrayal of that type of uh, character trait that a lot of people have. And I, I like the homage to uh, one of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects, that this movie has in the end. I don't know if you guys noticed. When he comes out of the police precinct and they, you know, like the camera angle, uh, you know, it shows him to like stop and look around in uh, in front of the precinct and then walk towards his right, just like Kevin Spacey did in The Usual Suspects. Then the cam- camera shows the angle of his feet. Or his feet walking on on the sidewalk and then uh it, you know, goes up to him and he takes out a cigarette and shit like that. So that little whole piece right there was like an homage to the usual suspects or like a proverbial doffing of the cap uh to that movie. I'm not sure if you guys noticed that. But you probably did because it was pretty obvious and even I noticed it. And what else? The other thing that I saw, which wasn't a movie, it was actually a documentary. That was pretty dope. It's on HBO. It's called, if I'm not mistaken, The Latin Explosion. And it's pretty much uh it's a pretty good title, pretty much uh pretty self explanatory. And uh it's about the My migrating of uh, Latino Americans to the United States And the cultural effects that it's had on the country And it gives you like six stats of how one in I don't remember the number to be honest It's one in 25 or one in 50 or one in 80 Americans are, are Latino of Latino descent Uh, now and by 2050 i think it's gonna be one in three um which means that we fuck a lot we multiply like motherfuckers and um but it's really really interesting to see like all the different layers of uh it showed the like culture through music and um uh it Uh, Really interesting man Um, I feel like I saw it Fucking weeks ago So I'm not remembering Everything from it That I wanted to speak about Um, But there were a few things That stood out And um, You know It Showed things from like uh, Jose Feliciano uh, Who's the guy The Puerto Rican dude That sings Feliz Navidad Prospero año y felicidad I wanna wish you A Merry Christmas That song uh, which I guess is probably a good song to end the episode to. This is, after all, the last episode before Christmas, so yeah, that is that is a good fucking song to to end this episode to. Let me just jot that down so I don't not forget. And um, so it shows how he uh. He was playing music, and he was uh, kind of well, not well-known, but he was beginning to become known. And he played, well, he was well-known enough to play at, um, I think it was at Yankee Stadium, uh, the National Anthem, for a game opener. And he kind of played it, he he didn't sing in the traditional way. He gave a little different flavor to it, like a bluesy type of flavor to it. And, um, he got a lot of flack for that and so much flack that people were like, we're booing him uh, while he he was singing it. And, um, you know, like racial slurs and, um, certain radio stations stopped playing his, his other music. And, um, it wasn't until he came out out with that song, which I'm going to play at the end of, of this episode that, um, you know, he became, you know, widely accepted again and, and stuff like that. So. It goes from that to uh, Anthony Santos, Romeo Santos, selling out Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think it was like last year, I think it was that he did it. Um, two nights in a row, 50,000 people a pop each. So it, it you know it goes from that Feliciano to to Ramos Santos and like everything in between and it goes through like the stories of uh Carlos Santana when he was like an unknown guitar player that that was playing at uh like Woodstock and I hope I have that right Uh, but it was like a Woodstock looking thing like Coachella type of like outdoor uh theater thing I really think it was Woodstock um to Selena and her you know her Tejano music um influence and you know her getting murdered and stuff like that uh Gloria Stefan which Gloria Stefan had a dope story in this one I I jotted down um to share with you guys was the according to her when she remembers signs when she was uh when she was a kid when her parents came over uh from Cuba stating uh, like for rent signs that said no pets and no Cubans. Which sounded funny when I heard it, to be honest, but it's fucked up, right? It's just funny in hindsight, like the ignorance uh, of people back then. And they did show some like news clips uh, from back then of, of people saying, you know, these people should go back to where they came from and we don't want them here and stuff like that. Which I couldn't help but think about the sentiment now of people, of Americans now, when it comes to Syrian refugees. And how we, and by we I just say, you know... I'm not saying everybody, because some people do, some people don't, uh, want the Syrian refugees uh to be allowed to come into the United States at certain rates and um also in the countries um uh, bordering Syria uh have like the same type of predicament with the their respective citizens. And you know it's uh it's a different time. Um you could argue that, you know, now there's uh terrorism in the mix, back then there wasn't. And uh, I don't know, but it's all relative too, right? I mean, back then, you know, it, it was said that the majority of the Cubans or at least a significant portion of the Cubans that were coming into the country were Cubans that Castro was uh, releasing from the prisons. There were drug dealers. There were gang members uh, releasing them from the prisons there so he wouldn't have to worry about them anymore and, and dumping them into the United States. So they were they were the evil quote unquote of that time of that time period uh relative to now uh you know fast forward you know post 9/11 and the heightened concerns of terrorism you have the potential of terrorists Uh, posing as refugees getting into the country and and wreaking havoc so you know i definitely get the the argument or the concern or the, the the hesitation um but i don't know i just couldn't couldn't help but like draw that parallel to that time then and how beautiful and enriching the and obviously i'm biased i'm dominican but how beautiful and enriching the, the Hispanic culture has been to the American culture. And not just the Hispanic culture. You, the Irish culture, Italian culture, Asian culture, you know, you name it. All give us your poor, your huddled masses, you know, everybody that has come together to make this country what it is. And although the, I can't just say I agree with the hesitation, but it's understandable to a degree, it's fucked up at the same time to turn your back on what got you to this point. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what I got to say about that. It's called The uh, the Lion Explosion. It's on HBO and it's it's definitely worth a watch. It was pretty, pretty dope. Um, I learned a lot of the the lion history that that I hadn't known, and it was just interesting to see it uh, in the way that they they put it all together from the vantage point of music and entertainment. Now, aside from that, um, the Jets busted the Giants' ass. Well, they didn't bust their ass, but they beat them. And it was a very, very, very dope game that went down to the wire, went to overtime, and went down to the wire again, and the Jets pulled it off, and took over New York, let's go Green! fuck you big blue, baby blue now in my book. And then the Jets rode that wave and demolished the fucking Titans this past Sunday, uh, 30 fucking thousand to eight, or some shit like that, and um uh yeah it's looking good it's looking good for the Jets I am a clearly a Jets fan um don't get me wrong though I'm a very very casual fan um I'm not going to be the guy spouting off uh statistics and knowing all the players on the team and the fucking potential picks that they have coming up and trades and coaches and and line coaches and this and that and the other but I definitely root for the Jets, and I'm very happy that they've been doing their thing and continue to do so. I think there's, what, like three weeks left of football. Two of the games are divisional ones against the Pats and against the Bills. And I'm definitely looking forward to taking both of those. And I don't even know, can they make it into the playoffs? I think they could. Um... Not sure if they have to win out, win the remaining three or or how exactly fucking playoffs and wild cards and like shit like that always confuse me for in any every fucking sport. But um yeah, if you're not like the first place team, you have to I don't know, like all the second place teams fight for a wild card spot or some shit like that. I'm not sure how it works exactly, but uh it would be dope to see the Jets in the playoffs. Now that said Like I told you guys last last time, I ordered a few new books, uh, which I'm, you know, trying to read more more heavily as of late, and I ordered three of them, I'm midway through my first one, and it's called Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, it's a collection of Zen and pre-Zen writings, and there are three pieces, actually, that I liked, and I'm gonna share with you guys just how I did with the uh, Tao the Ching. It's that style of of book, I guess. It has uh, th- like three books in one. and the first one is a collection of one hundred and one Zen teachings or writings, I guess you can you know consider them teachings. And there's three of them that I'm going to share with you guys. The first one is number 14. And the first one is Muddy Road. Tanzan and Aikido were once traveling together down a muddy road. A heavy rain was still falling. Coming around a bend, they met a lovely girl in a silk kimono and sash unable to cross the intersection. "'Come on, girl,' said Tanzan at once. Lifting her in his arms, he carried her over the mud. Akito did not speak again until that night when they reached a lodging temple. Then he no longer could restrain himself. "'We monks don't go near females,' he told Tanzan, "'especially not young and lovely ones.' It is dangerous. Why did you do that? I left the girl there, said Tanzan. Are you still carrying her? That was pretty dope. Fucking let go of shit. Uh let's see, the next one is thirty seven. Fuck it. I can't read for shit. This one's kinda long, so bear with me. Publishing the Sutras Tetsujin, a devotee of Zen in Japan, decided to publish the Sutras, which at that time were available only in Chinese. The books were to be printed with wood blocks in an edition of 7,000 copies, a tremendous undertaking. Tetsujin began by traveling and collecting donations for this purpose. A few sympathizers would give him a hundred pieces of gold, but most of them but most of the time he received only small coins. He thanked each donor with equal gratitude after ten years. Tetsujin had enough money to begin his task. It happened that at that time the Yuji River overflowed famine followed Tetsujin took the funds. He had collected for the books and spent them to save others from starvation. Then he began again his work of collecting. Several years afterwards, an epidemic spread over the country. Tetsujin again gave away what he had collected to help his people. For a third time, he started his work, and after 20 years, his wish was fulfilled. The printing blocks that produced the first edition of the sutras can be seen today in the Obaku Monastery in Kyoto. The Japanese tell their children that Tetsujin made three sets of sutras and that the first two invisible sets surpassed even the last. That was pretty dope. Kind of like, uh, don't give up type story and of gumption and determination and will and and the importance of of gratitude in that that piece that says there he thanked each donor with equal gratitude that stood out to me as well as the the selfless selflessness uh, of the dude and how that portion of it was even more, oh, that portion of his journey was even more important than the last one, which was accomplishing that monumental task of of getting the wooden blocks that that could print the the sutras. That's pretty dope. And I got one more for you, fuckers. Hope you guys like these. I do. Again, this is from Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. If you guys want to check it out. And the last one is number 49. A nun who was searching for enlightenment made a statue of Buddha and covered it with gold leaf. Wherever she went, she carried this golden Buddha with her. Years passed and still carrying her Buddha the nun came to live in a small temple in a country where there were many Buddhas, each one with its own particular shrine. The nun wished to burn incense before her golden Buddha. Not liking the idea of the perfume straying to the others, she devised a funnel through which the smoke would ascend only to her statue. The blackened, This blackened the nose of the Golden Buddha, making it especially ugly. (laughs) So basically, don't be a greedy bitch. It's okay to share. And there's plenty to go around for everyone. If not, you wind up with a blackened nose. And um, that's it. That's from... Again, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, the book that I'm currently reading. And if there are any other gems like those that I want to share with you guys, I will in future episodes until I finish reading the book. All right, so I got two uh, questionnaire submissions for this week, and I'm going to wrap up the episode with those two. For those of you that don't know what the Sponsored Questionnaire is, it's a, a five-question questionnaire uh, geared towards creative types, uh, people that write, people that paint, people that draw, sing, whatever, any, you know, people that are into something, and um, it's five questions. Uh, I'm going to read them now from this particular questionnaire that that I received, uh, so you guys will know what the questions are, uh, but just to give you an idea, it's, uh you know, how to get off your ass and, and do what you got to do. Now, the first uh person that uh, submitted a questionnaire this week uh chose to remain anonymous, so I'm not going to say the person's name or anything like that or where you can contact them if you would like to, but I like all others I am going to read their uh answers to the questionnaire obviously to help you know share their insights and uh their tips uh with other people uh that could you know hopefully have a ripple effect of motivation for others including myself okay question number 1 is relating to your craft do you remember the first thing that you ever wrote or created? And this anonymous person stated, the very first thing that I remember creating was a mini book in first grade. I drew pictures and had to write a story to go with them. I think I still have it somewhere. It was plain awful. (laughs) I cannot draw, but I remember feeling very proud that I created something. And that's that's for you know the dopest part of that is that you still have it somewhere, and I would say definitely find where that somewhere is before you lose it, and keep it in a safe place that you can look back on and cherish, and you know who knows give it to your kids one day, and uh, just look back on it. it's it's really cool to have a piece of of your childhood like that, especially if it's tied to. Uh, a specific passion that you have for something like, like, uh, in this example, like writing. I remember the when I was in like eighth or ninth, eight or nine years old. Um, and I mentioned this, uh, in the past. So for those of you that have heard this already, bear with me. I'm sorry, but it's pretty fitting to this, this response in the questionnaire. The first story, short story that I ever wrote, I was like eight or nine years old. And I remember it was, it was a, a cross between like an army movie and Encino Man, and it was called The Thousand Year Old Soldier. And I wrote it in a black and white marble notebook. And um, the premise was a soldier got trapped under an avalanche and turned into a block of ice. And then when he thawed out, uh, he realized that a thousand years had passed and he was in the future and I don't remember much else aside from that but I do remember I remember writing it and I remember obviously the premise of it and and even the notebook that I wrote it in and I remember putting it I had this metal metallic box that had this fugazi little little key lock on it and I remember keeping it there and I used to use that box and you know store my quote unquote private stuff in there and top secret stuff, you know, I'm fucking eight or nine years old. And uh long story short, I stopped using the box. it was like in the basement somewhere or wound up like in a I don't even know where it wound up. But um fast forward a years later, we moved and everything. I found that that box in, in the garage And, um, I remember like when I saw it, when I found it, like I remembered right away of like the book and the short story and just like stuff that I had in there. I was like, Oh shit, I can't believe this box still like exists. I had completely forgotten about it. And I went to it, I opened it and it was full of like my father's tools and shit like that. And I never got to like see the book again, but it would have been pretty dope if I had. So imagine that story your version of and you actually finding and still having that that uh picture book now and that's a much happier ending than finding a, a bunch of screwdrivers and stuff in this place but yeah find that the next uh question is what inspired you to write or create and the response was I find that I always have a muse. Sometimes that muse is a person. Sometimes it's emotion itself. I use them all to fuel my writing. And I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, inspiration strikes very randomly, very sporadically. um, Sometimes just very intentionally. And... Yeah, I'm I'm the exact same way. I could hear a song that, that inspires me to write. I could hear a quote in a movie. Um, and that concept of, of the muse is just like, you know, you need to physically get yourself to a pen and paper or, you know, a keyboard and let it flow through you and onto the screen or onto the page. And I'm completely with you on that. The next question is, what is a hobby that you have that is unrelated to your craft? And the response is, I'm an avid reader. I read hardcover books and listen to Audible. I am constantly reading all different types of books. And that is something I'm trying to do more and more of, um, especially as I've gotten into into writing, obviously. Um, They kind of go hand in hand. And believe it or not uh, Reading is something that I used to fucking hate Very much so Never used to read at all And uh, now I really enjoy it I'm just not the best reader there is out there But definitely enjoy Enjoy the process And um, uh, Audiobooks are dope too For uh, that Helping out with a few few books that Were kind of like dense and like tough to, to Like read And that I really enjoyed the audiobooks of like uh what was it Republic Lost by Lawrence Lessig and also one of my favorite books, uh Mastery by Robert Greene And those were, were pretty dope. And you guys should check definitely check out audio audiobooks if you haven't, or like if you're in that kind of like gray area that you like you wanna, you know, get exposed to to certain things that you wanna read but you really don't like make the time like for it and and stuff like that. Um, definitely check out audiobooks. I have to download more of them actually. Um, let's see. The next question is How do you get yourself to sit down and do your work when you're not motivated to? And the response is, That's tough. When I do feel, well, blah, I'm sorry, that's tough. When I do not feel inspired, I draw on other people's energy. I send out questions on social media that will strike chords of emotion in people. This works well for me. And that's a, that's a really good idea. That's kind of, I guess that's kind of like what this questionnaire is like for me. That's like my version of is sending out this questionnaire and, and it helps spark, you know, the, you know, the recording of this podcast, for example, which, which has always been kind of like a, uh, like a closed loop, right? The podcast makes me want to write or motivates me to write, you know, keeps me honest, keeps me writing and vice versa. Writing gives me content for the podcast and it's kind of like a, a circle that purposely is set up to motivate me to push me in the direction of where I want to be with both writing and podcasting. And that's a that's a really good idea with the Uh, Asking questions like on social media And just getting like different feedback um, From different people This person actually as well as the other person That uh, The other person didn't choose to remain anonymous But this one did so that's why I'm just Saying this person Um, I met through, Or quote unquote met through uh, Cyberdust which is uh, More Cubans Like social texting Service thing that that he started or that he's a part of and um uh it's pretty interesting i'm get, i'm getting used to the the i don't know the the format of it uh is that the right word for it the I'm getting used to using it basically but um it's i hear it's similar to like snapchat but snapchat I've never used um except this is does not give you an option to like save, uh, like Snapchat supposedly gives you the option to like save, you know, the chats or whatever. Um, Cyberdust does not, and Cyberdust as a company does not have like any servers or anything like that. So, somebody sends you a message or a blast, like they call, or a dust, um, a dust would be like a DM, and uh, a blast would be like a post, um. And when people see it or read it, uh, once they open it, the clock starts and it's a certain amount of seconds before it disappears. And it's not stored on any other servers or anything like that, uh, which would I would imagine means like low overhead for them, I guess. But um, uh, yeah, that's the whole concept of it. It's like truly, you know, nah, nobody's reading your shit type of type of forum. And that's where I met both of these people. So, yeah, I definitely get that, you know, sending stuff out through social media to, you know, spark conversation and interest and stuff like that. And draw on people's energy. And the final question of the questionnaire is, do you have any advice for other writers or creators, whether they're new, seasoned, or otherwise? And the response was, write your heart. People can tell if you're not writing from the very depths of your soul. If you always write for that, you will always touch someone. And that was my favorite response to your questionnaire. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you had... How do I say this? You know, sometimes, like, with stuff that I write, I'm... Kind of like, you know, that feeling of nobody's going to get this except for me or, or this isn't good enough for anybody else to, to read and, and stuff like that. And a lot of the time it is, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, in terms of my stuff, but um, as long as it's coming from that place, from that like genuine real place, it's going to reach somebody, it's going to touch somebody. And you have no way of gauging who it does and who it doesn't uh, touch. And I, you know, I've written about this in uh, in certain free writing posts, and um, the quote unquote announcement that um, I'm going to tell you guys about right after the next questionnaire. I get into it in there as well, um, but I think it's your responsibility as a creator, as a writer specifically, to just let the thing out let it out and allow it to if allow it to have the chance of reaching and touching someone and um if it does great and if it doesn't it at least meant that to you and it was therapeutic in that way for you um and you are someone too right uh so yeah thank you very much uh person that shall remain anonymous per your request and I really appreciate you taking the time to fill out the survey, the questionnaire, and um, it was a great one. Thank you very much. And we have one more questionnaire. Like I told you guys, this one, uh, let me just make sure this person said it does not matter in terms of them remaining anonymous or not. And if you choose that, I'm going to say who you are. (laughs) And this person is Amy Marcello. So, Amy, thank you in advance for taking the time. Question number one of the survey. Relating to your craft, do you remember the first thing that you ever wrote or created? And Amy's response was, before I could write, my mom used to have me tell her a story, and she would write down everything I said, word for word, even when it didn't make sense. The stories were usually about birds or animals that like to play and sometimes get into trouble it is nice looking back and reading the grammatically incorrect details to a young and very vivid imagination and i thought that that when i I read the questionnaire when i received it i thought that was like such a dope idea i was actually going to tell my brother to do that with my niece when she gets old enough um when she's actually making like sense because now she's you know barely a month out from her not even a month out of her one year birthday so she's still like speaking gibberish and stuff like that and she knows how to say cat and no um but definitely when she starts making sense that would be a pretty cool a pretty cool idea to to do something like this and um have her create stories And write them down And give them to her In the future And it's really dope That that your mother did that for you And um, kind of planted that seed of, of creating stories I guess for you Which is really really cool Definitely a different A different version of Reading your kids' bedtime stories Right? Allow them to create their own That seems pretty cool It's definitely something I would want to do Thanks for sharing that and the next question is, what inspires you to write or create? And Amy's response is emotional reactions to anger, heartbreak, empathy, revelations, and aha moments. And yeah, tying into the previous uh, questionnaire that I read, it's, you know, inspiration literally comes from anything and everything and anywhere. And I guess in Amy's. Case she seems To be more of the uh, It comes From Places of like heightened emotion Uh, Whether it's like empathy Or heartbreak Like she says or anger uh, Or revelations And aha moments those are like Peaks in emotion right But it's Awesome that you can take Any of those emotions From it like any of those peaks and channel them into creating, uh, which is key, which is awesome. Because all that emotion, all that that rawness, all that realness, comes out in your writing. How much of it comes out is obviously completely up to you, and it's something that as like writers and creators, is, that's what we're we're molding and shaping and honing and fine tuning, right? Um, but it's definitely dope to have that ability to steer it in that direction. The next question is, what is a hobby that you have that is unrelated to your craft? And she wrote, I love to dance. And that's pretty cool. Um, I actually do not love to dance. I'm probably like the worst Dominican ever. And... My people are very, very alegre, happy, dancy type people. Um and I'm very much so not more of the introverted, quiet, leave me alone uh persuasion. <laughs> but I do I could dance, not well or anything like that. I'm no I'm no fucking um Patrick Swayze and dirty dancing. But um I know how to dance and you know, the once every every fucking leap year when I, I do get the itch to dance, I'll like dance my ass off at that one party and then, you know, never dance again for, for years to come. So I definitely get the the appeal of it. Um when I when I you know look back and think of like those specific moments when I've enjoyed it. Um and you know dancing in itself is like very creative and very free, very very flowy. Um, you know, you follow certain, um, uh, preset rules, I guess, and steps in certain types of dancing. Um, if you're just doing, I don't know, not all, I guess, but, but yeah, I see, I see that, I I see that connection it's pretty dope. It's pretty cool. The next question is, how do you get yourself to sit down and do your work when you're not motivated to? And Amy responded, I try to find a quiet place without distraction. Sometimes music helps, but other times I need complete silence. And that's in, that. That was interesting to me because I'm. I don't know. I guess. I guess it depends on the mood, on my mood, because, and you know, judging from your response, I guess. It's the same for you. Like sometimes you need complete silence, and sometimes music. You know, some sort of of like background, like white noise, um, kind of gets you going. And I wonder from reading it, if, from reading your response, Amy, if you mean that, let's say you don't want to write. You don't, because this is what I meant by the question, which, you know, if you didn't get that, um, that's completely my fault for the way it's worded. But when you're supposed to write which should be like all the time right if you're into writing um how do you get yourself to physically get up and go sit down and write and if i I don't know i guess i'm not sure if that's what you you meant by your response but if you meant that you could literally like you know turn off the tv make everything quiet and then that gets you in the mood to write That's fucking amazing. That's like a switch, like an on switch that you have there that you've, you know, disciplined and trained yourself to do. Um, So it's kind of like, because I kind of feel like the answer that you gave is kind of after you get yourself to write, you just have to, you know, after you you sat down and you kind of made that push in the direction of writing. That you kind of um, Then have to like Shut everything off And then You know So shit could start flowing And you could start Start writing Um, But yeah It's That's like the toughest part for, For all of us And I think That's A pretty well Known and understood You know Similarity amongst writers that you know just actually sitting down and doing the work is that's the hard part like getting yourself to getting that push of motivation and inspiration to go and actually physically do the work and lastly the last question of the last questionnaire that we have for the day is do you have any advice for other writers or creators whether they're new seasoned or otherwise And Amy responded, Writing is the easy part. Don't let rejection letters be the demise of your passion. There are so many resources and directions to explore. The internet can allow your writing to touch any audience you want. And I think finding that in today's world is where you'll find the most value and have the most impact. And I could not agree with you more. Again, Amy, thank you very much for taking the time to fill out the questionnaire. That was a very, very dope response. And kind of the perfect segue to the announcement that I said, uh, told you guys last week that I would have for you this week, Um, which I'm not where I want to be with it, but I'm enough uh, into it where... I could announce it to one, light a fire under my ass to make sure I get it done. And two, keep my word of having an announcement for you guys. So, (laughs) uh, like I said, uh, like Amy said in this last response, uh, writing is the easy part. Don't let rejection letters be the demise of your passion. There are so many resources and directions to explore. I am in the process of self-publishing my first book and that's the announcement. Ta-da. <laughs> um, uh, but no, like the point is like Amy said, there's so, there's so many outlets and, and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Opportunity and facilidad to pursue what you want, if you really want it Uh, nowadays, especially with like mediums, like podcasts and, and, and resources like uh, uh, like Amazon, for example, and KDP select, um, which is, you know, what I'm learning to, to use to, um, and programs like Scrivener, which I'm using to, to compile and format and put together my, my book. And it's it's it would be a shame not to capitalize on that, and you know I know everybody's been through moments in their lives where you know hindsight is obviously twenty twenty, but we've all been through moments where we look back at certain points in our lives and say, damn, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have done that differently. Damn, I didn't take advantage of that opportunity, and I didn't want that to happen this go around, um, through this phase of my life and which is why you know I kind of jumped on the you know with the the fuel of the the passion that I have for it I jumped on the the idea of pursuing writing um on a more serious level as well as podcasting as well and that said I want to um I wanted to obviously you know be published and every writer wants that and I was thinking some time ago like months ago that the first thing i would i would publish was a collection of short stories once i had enough to to you know fill up a respectable size book and um at the same time i was like learning about the whole self-publishing uh industry you know indie writers and stuff like that i listened to you know podcasts like joanna penn's podcast and just tons and tons of different tutorials and videos on YouTube about it um from different authors different tips authors that go on other podcasts like Brian Cowan's and to Joe Rogan experience etc and i i'm one of those people that i can get to a certain point with with you know reading articles and watching videos and listening to podcasts on how to do something but i have to like go through the actual process to gain like the full understanding of it and i think that's true for for a lot of people and for most things that each of us do so being that i didn't have the content or i do not have the content yet for short stories and i didn't want to um you know just slap together crap and put it out there i kind of had a little aha moment um to coin the phrase from one of the earlier questions of the questionnaire uh, from Amy's questionnaire actually. And, um, I was looking back on all the free writing, like all these uh, free writing episodes that, that, uh, that we have up here, um, in the sponsored podcast that we put out. And, you know, the, those pieces that I've read, you know, I have like years, you know, going back. I think three plus years worth of content um, with those that style of writing. And I one of my, one of my favorite books, if not my favorite, is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, and it's kind of the book that I'm putting together is in that style, in that format, where you have different pieces like that. Or if you look at something like the the Tao Te Ching, or like the book I'm reading now is Zen Flesh and Bones. It's not like a, it's a nonfiction book, but it's not like a, it's not like a cohesive, you know, f- cohesive is the wrong word. I hope it's fucking <laughs> cohesive. Um, It's not a, each piece is independent of each other, but there's a through line of, motivation and you know, getting over your own bullshit and uh pursuing what it is that you want to pursue throughout all the pieces that are in and of themselves separate pieces as you guys have seen through uh like all the free writing posts that I've put either on my website, sponsor.com forward slash free writing and that I've shared with you guys through throughout all the the past uh free writing episodes. So that's pretty much what it is. The book is, uh, going to be a collection of certain free writing posts, some of which are, have, uh, been on the podcast and on the website and some of which haven't, um, most of which was edited, uh, for, you know, purposes of of the, of the book, you know, like I said, I didn't just want to you know slap something together, put it out there, so I could learn the the actual process of the self publishing. Um, I want to put something that I could be proud of, something quality, and hopefully that you guys could uh, enjoy as well. And as well as you know the the secondary purpose of actually learning the process of self publishing and you know buying a barcode and the ISBN and and you know. Putting the book on, uh, releasing the book as an ebook at first, and via KDP Select for ninety days, for free, and you know, gaining uh, reviews, and and rates on Amazon to, you know, um, make the book uh, popular and so on and so forth, and you know, go go through go through the steps that I've just abstractly um learned about and that I have to actually go through to fully understand. So that said, I the book is almost completely done. Um just doing like some final, you know, setting up the copyright page, the acknowledgments uh page, you know, writing my thank yous and stuff like that. Um and doing the final formatting. Uh, which is a bitch, by the way That I, I've literally spent the last I think, like, three days Several hours on Let me see, Yes, yesterday, yesterday was Sunday I spent, no lie I think, like, seven hours worth of Watching different videos and tweaking And, and trying to get this shit to work And to get formatted And um, Scrivener is a really Powerful tool, I couldn't imagine doing this shit Like on Microsoft Word or something like that And, um But it's, like, one of those such a powerful tool that takes a lot to fucking learn it um and that's what i'm just in the process of doing so i the goal is to get it out before the end of the year so uh hopefully by the end of definitely by the next episode of this podcast which would be airing on the 31st of december uh it should be out so you guys can Pick it up, check it out, and um, hopefully those posts and and that writing could uh, help you guys in a similar way that it's helped me, and that's ultimately the the end goal of this entire process. And that's it, folks. Amy, Amy looking for your last name here amy marcello thank you very much again for filling out to the questionnaire uh, i really appreciate it and other person that shall remain anonymous uh i'm blah. anonymous <laughs> thank you very much as well and uh that's the episode guys i appreciate you guys a lot i really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and listening to me ramble on bullshit all the time And share my writing and and stuff like that with you guys. And uh, I really, really do appreciate it. And in closing, to support the podcast. And you guys know all the ways that you can support already. Especially if you're podcast fans. uh, First and foremost, rate and review the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. And um you guys can also listen to the podcast on YouTube. You can, you know, rate and review it there, or like it, or whatever. Um, sign up to my newsletter. Um, definitely pumping up the newsletter so you guys can stay in the know um, for when the the book is available and the book is out, as well as any and all future writings like short stories and episodes of the podcast and stuff like that i'm not going to bombard you guys with like spam or anything like that um but it's a good way to stay in touch uh sign up to my newsletter you can find it at spun forward slash contact it's at the bottom of the page all you have to do is fill out your name and your email address and click submit and aside from that do your christmas shopping if you haven't already And support the podcast at the same time by shopping through my Amazon banner. And that's located at sponte.com forward slash affiliate links. And you can find banners to iTunes and to Amazon on there. PayPal donations. If you guys feel are feeling in the giving Christmas spirit mood, uh, feel free to do so. And what else? What else? Fill out questionnaires if you guys want to be featured in any of these episodes. uh, Like the two questionnaires that we had today. And if you guys feel that you have anything anything um you know worth sharing um with us, uh we would really appreciate it. You know, everybody can get something from from everything. So uh feel free to check out the questionnaire, five question questionnaire at spun today.com forward slash questionnaire. And follow me on Twitter at spun today, follow me on Instagram at spun today or check out the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash spun today and that's it folks that's the episode and I'm going to end it off with some Jose Feliciano Feliz Navidad and I wish you guys a merry and happy uh merry Christmas I'll speak to you guys before New Year's but you know happy Kwanzaa happy Hanukkah all that good stuff enjoy the holidays folks and as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams thanks for listening feliz navidad
1: feliz navidad feliz navidad, feliz navidad. prospero año y feliz ¡Feliz Navidad!